0: So thankful for Yogi's story. Uh, growing up, uh, for him, money was something that needed to be taken and something that needed to be uh, spent and longing for uh, acceptance, uh, to stealing from his own uh, father in order to spend money on himself and on his friends so that they would accept him and then... Uh, Experiencing all of the hollow emptiness of uh, uh, of uh, Hindu ritual and sacrifice, but then learning about Christ and how Christ came. He had been told all of his life that he's supposed to chase after God, but then learning that God came chasing after him, and and that and that. And that Christ came to give of himself. And how Yogi's whole mindset has been transformed. That money now is something that that we receive and that we give. It's not something that we take and that we spend. And, and, and that is what God is calling us uh, to do uh, today. Today we're going to be talking about the theme of generosity. We've been in this series called uh, Trusting God for More and it began with faith and what do we believe about God and then love reflecting on the fact that God loves us and what does it mean for us to love him and to love our neighbor and then a uh, humility recognizing that we can't do anything apart from him and then uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, generosity. Before we jump into our main passage today I want you to, to draw your attention to Luke chapter 12. Jesus had lots to say about the theme of generosity. It says, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger barns. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Similarly, Jesus warns, to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so today we are going to be looking at this theme of generosity because the how we handle money and how we handle the things that God has entrusted to us is an expression of what is happening in our heart. Jesus said we are to, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And that we are that where our heart is, there our treasure is. Also, And so you received on your way in one of these uh, commitment cards. We're uh, in the middle or just uh, beginning a capital campaign together as a church. And uh, two Sundays from now on November 18th, that's going to be Commitment Sunday. That's where we are all as a church family going to take one massive step in light of our faith and our love and our humility. We are going to take a step of obedience and offering uh, generously to what God is doing here. We are seeking to raise $3 million over the the next three years to minimize our mortgage in order to maximize the ministry potential of being uh, in this uh, place. And so it's vitally important that we understand what generosity actually is. And what we're going to find today is that a heart that loves Jesus is a heart that loves Giving. And so we're going to turn today to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there right now. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will come up and down the aisle uh, right now and put one into your hands. The reason why we're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is because uh, this chapter and the chapter that precedes it is the longest and most comprehensive teaching in the New Testament as it relates to giving. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, which was in a province called Achaia. And uh, he is doing some fundraising also in the the area of Macedonia, places like Philippi and Thessalonica. Uh, The Apostle Paul is doing some fundraising because the first church, the largest church, and the poorest church, the church in Jerusalem had been suffering massive persecution and subsequent financial difficulty. And so Paul is is going around trying to raise money. And he is talking to the church at Corinth in chapter 8 and chapter 9 about the motivation for giving, about the logistics of how it's going to be collected, and and the mindset that they need to have if they are going to give with uh, generosity. And so uh, let's... um, Take a look at the passage together. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 6. It says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. expressible gift. Let's pray for God's help in understanding uh, his word today. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, praying right now for strength and weakness, Lord. We come to you praying that you would uh, move by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would empower me, Lord, that you would strengthen me, that you would open my mouth, that you would be with my mind, Lord, that you would also be with my heart, God, protect me from fear. Lord, protect me from error. Lord, help me to say only that which is from your word, only that which is true, only that which would contribute to the building up of the body of Christ for the work of ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would be with everyone who can hear my voice. I pray that you would move powerfully in our midst, Lord, that it would not merely be my voice that is heard, but we would hear your voice speaking through your living and active and inerrant and authoritative word of God. And so we pray for your help right now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, last week during the 9 o'clock service, the sermon was just about getting started and, uh, and a kind of a fire alarm went off. And so we had to do a bit of an evacuation and everything like that. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, a sermon on money, this would be a great time for a fire alarm to go off. And uh, um, that's hopefully, Lord willing, not going to happen if someone finds some wood and knock on it or something like that, but... Um, the the topic of money so often makes us feel uh, uncomfortable, especially when many of us have, have sat under teaching that has really not uh, handled the Word of God rightly or truthfully. In in talking about this subject of uh, money. And so if you're concerned right now about, about receiving this message, you need to understand I'm really concerned about giving this message uh, right now. And so, and so uh, we've we all we've got to work together on this and trusting that God will speak through uh, his word. And so in chapter 8 and, and the beginning of chapter 9, the apostle Paul has been laying out, The the way that he is expecting the church at Corinth to give. And the situation is very different. We we are a fundraising right now to pay down our mortgage so that we can expand and strengthen and start uh, new ministries and send more missionaries. And the context here is is, is quite different. There is a church that is in financial need. And so they are raising money for a bunch of people that they will probably never meet. But the principles are, are the same. The principles surrounding the motivation for why we are to give and how we are to give are very similar. Our outline today, we're just really just going to f- complete one large sentence. Point one and point two and point three are all part of one sentence. And it's the, 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 the sentence is to help us define what does it mean to be a cheerful giver. You know, it says right there in verse seven, God loves a cheerful giver. I got to be honest with you, I'm a cheerful spender. I mean, we're all pretty good at, at cheerfully spending. We're all pretty good at cheerfully receiving. It's the giving that's the challenge, isn't it? But God loves a cheerful giver. So we're, we're going after today, how can we embrace and become the people of joyful generosity? To be cheerful givers. Here's the beginning of the sentence. Joyful generosity comes... When we make a personal decision. Joyful generosity comes when we make a personal decision. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul, he's been doing all of this, explaining all of this, teaching about the motivation for giving and the needs in Jerusalem. And then he says, the point is this. He's breaking it down. He's saying, this is, this is what I want you to understand. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a familiar concept. In 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 the Bible we, we, we come across this so often. You reap what you sow. And it's an everyday life principle. You get out of something what you put into it in the first place. And that's what Paul's saying here. If you're going to sow sparingly, don't be surprised if when you come to reap at harvest time that your, your harvest will be sparing. But if you sow bountifully, if you sow generously, then you will experience, when you come to reap at harvest time, bounty and abundance. So what is he saying here? He's basically saying this, farmers don't think planting is a waste of seed. They've got all of this seed. They've got a vat full of it or a tractor full of it. And they're going around and they're spreading. What are they doing? They're taking this valuable seed and they're throwing it in the dirt. And they're leaving it outside and there's pouring water on it and the rain's falling. And it's, you can't even see it anymore. It's sunken down underneath the surface. It seems like a waste of seed. But the farmer looks beyond the initial moment and and looks ahead with expectation to the harvest. And so a wise farmer sows bountifully. He's not holding on to his precious seed. No, he's seeing his seed as something that is a means to something greater. They're aiming towards the harvest. Then in verse 7 it says, each one must give. A Christian who doesn't give It's like a farmer who doesn't plant. Each one must give. A heart that loves Jesus is a heart that loves giving. And so we've said this a number of times as we've been going through this series, as we've been getting ready to make pledges, to make commitments on November the 18th, that this is going to require front row to back row. That this is going to require full participation from people who are a part of the original core group that planted this church. Or people who, who really just have only been coming for a, a matter of weeks. This is going to have to involve original people from Harvest Brampton. People who have joined us from Harvest Oakville. People who are joining us from Discovery Christian Community Church. We, this, is, this is an all-in activity. This is going to require 75-year-old retirees and 17-year-olds with part-time jobs. I mean, uh, right now, Jonathan Mendoza is over with Harvest Kids, talking to them about the, about the campaign and about how they can help their family save and, and structure things as, as children. I'm going to be meeting with the youth on a Tuesday night to be talking about uh, the same kinds of things. Each one must give. But it says, each one give must give as he has decided in his heart. Joyful generosity comes when we make a personal decision. No one can make this decision for you. This is between you and the Lord. This is a matter of conscience. This is a matter of personal conviction. It's a decision that has to happen in your heart. Now when we think I need to decide in my heart, we might think oh, I'm just going to make an emotional decision. You know, show, us, show us a video that's more tear-jerking, that's really going to, going to lure us and lead us to want to make a, 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 to make a gift out of an emotional response. That's not what deciding in the heart means. In, in Paul's time, the heart was, was the place where you made your decision-making. The heart was the place of the intellect and the will where you make choices. And so we're not asking you just to make an emotional decision here. We're actually asking you to make a calculation. To count the cost. To think about what God is calling you to do. It goes on to say that you're not to do it reluctantly or under compulsion. This is something that you are going to have to decide in your heart together with the Lord. In submission to him. Based on your faith in him and your love for him and humility before him. This is something that you are going to have to decide in your heart. It's not going to happen reluctantly. If you don't want to give, don't give. It's not going to happen under compulsion. No one is going to pressure you to give. Uh, Giving here at Harvest Bible Chapel is kept strictly confidential. There's only a handful of highly trained and highly trustworthy people that have access to uh, donation records here at Harvest. And I am not one of them. And the reason why we do that, the reason why elders and leaders in our church do not have access to any of the giving records is because we want to protect ourselves from two things. We want to protect ourselves as leaders from partiality, and we want to protect you as members of our church family from pressure. That it, if we were to know who were to give, and different churches have different perspectives on this, but this is our perspective. And we believe that this is wise. We don't want to show partiality to anyone. I don't want to be kinder to you because I think you give more money to him. I never want want economics to to fit into my grid when I'm thinking about how to love our congregation. And also, we don't ever want you to experience pressure. that, that That people are going to cast you aside or think a certain way about you based on how much you give you are to decide in your heart it's intensely personal how you are to give to this campaign it happens in your heart and a heart that loves Jesus is a heart that loves to give so you're not supposed to give under compulsion I'm not up here today trying to twist your arm I'm up here today trying to teach God's word And if you have a heart that loves Jesus, I know that what God's word is saying to you right now is challenging you to give. A heart that loves Jesus is a heart that loves to give. So, what we're asking you to do is to make a decision from your heart get the facts and go by faith. Get the facts and go by faith. We've shared with you the facts as it relates to our a capital campaign and our, our uh, financial plan for the next uh, three years and the opportunities that are in front of us to strengthen existing ministries, start new ministries, and send more missionaries. You've, you've got the facts from us. Now it's a matter for you to think about the facts about your own personal financial situation. To get alone with the Lord over the next couple of weeks with a Bible, a pen, and your bank statement and thinking about, Lord... What, what are you calling me to give? Because the giving has to be done freely. Get the facts and go by faith. I, I love what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9. It says, this is when they took that big offering for the construction of the temple. It says, the people rejoiced. They were cheerful givers because they had given willingly. With a whole heart, they had offered Freely. To God, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. The way to be a cheerful giver, it has to come from a personal decision. So get the facts and then go by faith. The end of the verse says that God loves a cheerful giver, He is a cheerful giver. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So carrying on this sentence then, joyful generosity comes when we make a personal decision to offer a faith-filled sacrifice. Joyful generosity is is a faith Filled sacrifice, and the sacrifice—the word "sacrifice" isn't used here in the passage, but but it's implied in the fact in verse eight. This statement about who God is—that God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, so a sacrifice is being made because Paul is challenging them to trust that God will give them all sufficiency. He will give them everything that they need in light of the sacrificial giving that they are offering. I love how it says in verse 8, God is able. Look at the front of your sermon handout or your, or your commitment card or just about anything that has trust in God for more. You'll see Ephesians three twenty and 21. That's our theme verse. And that verse also says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. And then here, and God is able able to make all grace abound to you it all starts and finishes with what we believe about God do we believe that God is able to do far more abundantly do we believe that God is able to make all grace abound to us so that we would have all sufficiency in all things and at all times so that we may abound in every good work do we believe those things about God let me, let me uh, show you uh, what I mean. Sharika, can you come up here? And uh, Kalen and Holly, do you want to come up here uh, just for, for one second? And uh, just meet me at the front of the, of the platform there. Okay, Sharika, you're going to be the generosity of God, okay? So you're going to represent God's generosity. Kalen, you stand right over here. And, and uh, I want you to put, put a Halloween treat, one in each of his hands over here. Holly, come on over here. Okay, so here's the generosity of God providing for Kalen and the generosity of God, same thing for, for Holly. Okay, so now, Kalen, I want you one hand each. Hold on to them tight. Make sure no one takes them. Make sure that those are yours, okay? So you just keep them right like that. Now, Holly, I want you to be more open-handed with what God has given to you just like that. Okay, now, generosity of God. Sharika, I want you to come here. And just about half of what's in there, I want you to try to give that to Kaylin right now, okay? So just pour it on. Yeah, how's that working out for you? Yeah, not very good. Not very good. Okay, now let's see, what, let's see Holly, open hand Holly over here. And uh, let's see how, how this works out for her. So here's the generosity of God being poured out on Holly's life. Now do you see the difference that's there? Do you see the difference? You see, this doesn't just simply apply to money. God wants to do more in our lives than just provide money for us. And so sometimes we can hold on to our money so tightly and we, we, we hold on to it so tightly that we miss out on what else God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes we can hold on to our family so tightly. Sometimes we can hold on to our reputations or our job or whatever it may, our health, whatever it may be. And God is wanting to do all of these things in our lives, but our hands are not open because we're holding on too tightly. Where over here, if our hands are open, if we take what God has given to us and hold it lightly, then God is able to continue to bless and to give. Let's hear it for these folks and you guys can distribute freely uh, as you make your way back. Thanks so much. You see, the principle there is so clear. God is able to make all grace abound to us. The question is, are we willing to receive from him? Are we open to what he wants to do in our lives, or are we holding on so tightly to the gifts that he already has given? And here's the thing the difference between someone who is closed fist and open handed is is directly proportional to what that person thinks about God. Does God have a closed fist, or does God have open hands? Do we serve a generous God? Do we serve a God who is able to make all grace abound to us? Or do we serve a God who is reluctant and stingy? If we are reluctant to give and stingy and selfish and greedy, then we believe those kinds of things about God. But when we are generous and open-handed and give freely, that's because that's what we believe about God. And so... We can freely make a sacrifice. We can freely decide to have less, to hold what God has given us with open hands and to give it freely because we can trust and believe that God will work in our lives. Here's here's how I uh, define sacrifice. Sorry, I say I. I don't know where I learned this. It's just the best definition of sacrifice I've ever heard. It's not original with me. Sacrifice is giving up something I love. For something I love more. Something that God has given us. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And sometimes we need to take those good things that God has given to us. And give them up because there's someone that we love more. We love God. And he's the one who put the thing in our hands in the first place. And he will fill those hands again in his good plans and purpose for his glory. So when we talk about sacrifice, when we talk about trusting that God is able to provide all that we need, I want to be really, really clear. I want to share just five quick things that we want to be very clear with you about. And the elders want to communicate with you very clearly as well. First off, we want you to steward wisely. There's a a strategic giving seminar going on right now. There's another one happening right after this service. There's still a few spots if you want to go upstairs to the boardroom after this service to participate. We don't want anyone to go into debt so that they could give to this campaign. We are calling people to give out of what God has already put in our hands. Are we clear? So... Steward wisely and get the facts. Get, that's why this the, the, the point of this seminar. There's also on your on your commitment card check boxes if you want to learn more about certain areas of giving so that you can steward it as wisely as you possibly can. But so sacrifice is, is not just a simply you know taking out a loan. That's not a sacrifice. That's 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 presuming upon the Lord by going into debt in order to in order to give. So steward wisely. Uh, secondly, it, it, this, is, this is what we're talking about when we talk about sacrifice. Spend less. Lindsay and I have gone through our finances and we've got a spreadsheet. We we're tracking our finances for the last eight months and then trying to project that into the next three years. And thinking about how can we spend less here. You know, coffees out or restaurants or, or, or grocery or whatever it is. How can we spend Less. That's, that's making a sacrifice. Uh, also sell something. Maybe you, maybe you have something lying around the house that you haven't used. Maybe it is something that you're still using but you could do without in order to make a sacrifice. Maybe there's something you were hoping to put in your house in the near future. But to skip something or to delay something. To say, you know what, I'm going to go without that purchase or that vacation or that trip or that, that that renovation that we were planning. We're going to skip something. And then thirdly, to spread it out. Some of us are in a position where there's, there's liquid assets that you have access to or whatever it may be or within your business. You, 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 could, you could write a, a check right now. Others of us are thinking there, there, there's, there's not enough money in the, uh, in the bank for me to give anything more than what I'm already giving, but thinking in terms of spreading things out. Don't underestimate the power of making a small gift over the next uh, three years. But what we are aiming at is a faith-filled sacrifice. What we are, what we are hoping to do is that at the end of this, this three-year period, when we see God come through and provide, that all of us would be able to look around our homes, to look around our schedules, to look at our bank accounts, that all of us should be able to say, I, I didn't do that because I gave to this. We didn't go there because we gave this. To this, We didn't buy that because we gave to this. That is what sacrifice looks like. Faith-filled sacrifice. Holding with open hands what God has entrusted to us. Then the Apostle Paul, as he so often does, quotes an Old Testament passage. In verse 9 he says, As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's quoting Psalm 112. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 112. We're going to get the context of, of who is this he that he's talking about. He has distributed freely. And that his righteousness endures uh, forever. If you look at Psalm 12, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So, this is, a, this is a wisdom psalm. This is a psalm giving a biographical sketch of someone who was fully and completely living out the book of Proverbs and, and the fruit that is happening in their life. It's, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Look at verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. I love this. Verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. Sometimes we think, well, if I were to make this this big uh, sacrifice, well, what if something were to happen? Where would my security come from? Well, the heart that fears the Lord is not trusting in money or wealth. It's trusting in the Lord. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Look down at verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted In honor. That's the very verse that the apostle Paul is quoting. That's the psalm. He says, The person who truly loves God lives in this way. They give freely. They aren't afraid of bad news. They're merciful. They're gracious. This is who a godly man or a godly woman, this is how they act and how they live. Now go back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and verse 10. And we need to pay careful attention to this next verse. Because uh, really out of any of the verses in the New Testament, this is the one that prosperity preachers tend to latch on to in order to, to suit their own twisted theology about a giving. Verse 10 says, "...he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Now some of you have probably heard on the radio or seen on television someone holding a Bible but not really teaching from it and every once in a while quoting a verse or two. And this happens to be one of the verses that they love to quote. And for them, a seed is a check that you write and mail to them. And then they promise that God will supply and multiply the seed, if you mail your seed to them. And they say, if you would sow a seed for $200, if you would sow a seed for $1,000, sow a seed, sow a seed, sow a seed. And, they, and then they say, well, look at me. I've sowed seeds before, and then look, 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 look at, look at all of my wealth. Well, you're the one getting the checks. And pay careful attention to the verse. If the Lord were to supply and multiply your seed, what are you supposed to do with it? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. If you give, and if God chooses to give you more as a result of your giving, the purpose of God giving you more is so that you would give more. It's not that you mail a check to the televangelist and then you receive more and then you just buy a big screen TV and a new car. No, the seed is for sowing and it all leads to the harvest. What are you actually harvesting? The harvest of your righteousness. They also love to quote verse 6. You know, the point is this. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. When do you reap? You reap at harvest time. What is the harvest? What is the end game of sowing the seed? It's not more seed. The end game of sowing the seed is more righteousness. How many people have sold their soul and spent their entire lives on trying to just get more and more money, more and more seed. And how many people would trade it all for righteousness? For righteousness in their relationships, righteousness in their marriage, righteousness in their business dealings. How many people have seen their lives completely, completely shipwrecked because they have had wealth but have not had righteousness? God wants to fill our open hands, but he doesn't simply just want to fill our open hands with more money. Because if he fills our open hands simply with money without righteousness, that will be a nightmare. What God wants to do is to have a harvest of righteousness in our lives. That God wants that as we are set free from the love of money and give freely out of the fear of God, that that produces righteousness in us. It goes on, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. And that's where the televangelist stops. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And then it says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's all about God's glory. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying seeds for the needs of the saints. But is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. So it's supplying needs. There's a practical aspect to it. There's a practical aspect to this campaign as well. We have bills that we want to pay. We have ministries and opportunities that, that, that we want to start and begin And so there's a practical aspect to it, but then there's also this spiritual aspect that produces an overflowing of thanksgivings to God. There there will be people that will come to this church and come to know Christ, and they will come and they will give thanks and glory to God, and they will thank God for this place, and they will thank God for this church, and they will thank God for the ministry that brought them in here, and there will be people across the ends of the earth that will be thankful that this church sent a missionary to that part of the world to preach the gospel, and they will give thanks to God, and meanwhile, it was our giving that made all of that possible. But God is the one who receives the thanks and receives the glory. Verse 13, and by their approval of this service they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel. Where does true giving come from? It comes from submission, from humility, from coming under God's authority. From your your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. We're to complete this whole sentence then, joyful generosity comes when we make a personal decision to make to, to make a faith-filled sacrifice rooted in gospel gratitude. Rooted in gospel gratitude. Underline that uh, that that section of verse 13 that says it that comes from, comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Where does a willingness to give? Where does joyful generosity come from? How are cheerful givers produced in a world filled with cheerful spenders? It comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ. When people are saved, they are filled with gratitude, and grateful hearts are giving hearts, and hearts that love Jesus are hearts that want to give. When the people of Israel were rescued out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and when they, when they found themselves on this side of the Red Sea and they went to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments and then they heard that God wanted to dwell in their midst and he was going to build a tent, then the people offered freely, didn't they? Moses and Aaron had to restrain them and stop them. Saved people want to give. When Naaman was rescued from leprosy, when Elisha told him to go bathe himself in the, in the river, the first thing Naaman did was to open up his wallet and to say, "How I want to give. Loved ones, we've been been saved from something far more severe than slavery. We've been healed from something far more deadly than leprosy. And so we must give out of gospel gratitude. Looking at what God has done for us. The end of verse 13 says, And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all Others. When we're giving, when we're thinking about giving to this uh, this, uh, campaign, it's not just giving for us and for what's happening right now in this church. It's giving like a farmer plants looking to the future and thinking about the coming harvest and what God will do and the souls that will be saved, the handful of empty seats that are in this room right now filled with more people to come to know who Jesus is. And Paul uses that word generosity in verse 13. This is the Merriam-Webster's definition, dictionary definition of generosity. Freely giving or sharing money and other valuable things. Providing more than the amount that is needed or normal. That's what, that's what generosity is. It, it begins by freely. You've got to make a personal decision but then it's giving more than what is needed or that is normal. And we we can think about giving that way only when we think about God and what he has given to us. Verse 14, it says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. The Corinthians were giving not because they were just good people, they were giving because God's grace was on them. If you go back to verse eight, God is able to make all grace abound to you. It's God's grace working in our lives, stirring in our hearts that fills us with joy in giving. Then I love verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God God is calling them by the power of the Holy Spirit and calling us to think about what it means to give. And pressing us forward. But then verse 15 tells us that as we think about giving in the future. We always need to give from the standpoint of thinking of what God has given to us in the past. You see when we think about what does it mean for us to be joyful givers. Cheerful givers. We need to remember that the reason why God loves a cheerful giver is because God is a cheerful giver. And that God gave his son. He gave his son. At some point uh, this week, uh, I'm going to be standing beside the, the father of my best friend. And we're going to be standing at my best friend's grave. My best friend has had a brain tumor for the last five years. Has fought hard. Has honored the Lord. He died this morning. You know when you're when you're a child and your parents die, you're called an orphan. When you're a spouse. And your husband dies, your wife dies, you're called a widow or a widower. What do you call my best friend's dad? There's people in this room, I know, they, they've experienced the, the grief, the sorrow, the anguish of losing a child. Well, what do you call a parent that has lost a child? There is no word. There is no word in the English language to describe the pain and the sorrow and the anguish of a father or a mother dealing with the loss of a child. No matter how young, no matter how old, no matter what the circumstances may be, there's no word. And my friend's father, he did not give his son. He feels as though his son has been taken from him. But when the Apostle Paul is thinking about generosity and thinking about giving, in verse 15 he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word inexpressible, listen, I'm no Greek scholar. But that word is only used once in the New Testament. That word was never used in any writing in the Greek language up until the writing of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The Greek word is anekdeogetos. Paul invented a word. There were no words to describe the magnitude of the gift that was given, that the Father gave His Son. There's no word for it. This is the inexpressible, unbelievable, indescribable gift of God that the Father would give His Son. Think about these familiar verses. Him who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Christmas is around the corner. Think about this familiar verse. For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave His only son. Loved ones, if we are going to trust God for more generosity. And if we are going to be cheerful givers. Our only hope is for us to truly come to grips with what it meant for God to give to us. We will always have our hands like this. Until we truly understand that God comes to us with hands like this. And that Christ went on the cross with hands like this. And gave his life. Thanks be to God. For his inexpressible gift. It's only fitting then that we conclude our service today by giving thanks for Christ's work for us on the cross. Paying the penalty, the punishment that we all deserve for our sin. Some of us grew up going to church and this moment, this part of the service was called the Eucharist. The Eucharist, that word Eucharist means giving thanks. We won't be giving at all as Christians until we remember what it means to be giving thanks. And that's what we're going to do in this moment. We are going to give thanks for Christ's body, that he came, that he dwelt among us, that he, he became incarnate, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life in the flesh on our behalf. And then we're going to take the cup and we're going to thank him for his blood that was shed as he bore the penalty for our sin. And we, loved ones, we are going to give thanks. So let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, even in the midst of the sorrow and the agony of the cross, that you are a cheerful giver. That you love the world so much that you gave your only son. And God, I pray that we would be so overwhelmed by your grace and mercy that was expressed to us. What you gave to us at Calvary on the cross. God, I pray that as we take these symbols in your hands, that we would know your presence here, that we would be so thankful, that we would give thanks for your inexpressible, indescribable, unbelievable gift. So God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.